Welcome to the Outthinker Podcast. Each week, we talk with forward-looking strategists and innovators that are challenging the status quo, leading the future of business, and shaping our world. I'm your host, Kyan Krippendorf, founder of the Outthinker Strategy Network. Digital transformation is not about technology. It's really about strategy. And transforming any business for the digital era is hard. The reason why it's hard is not because of the technology challenges. The crux of it, the really hard part, is that transforming requires us to overcome our own cognitive blind spots, our own ways of thinking about what business are we in? Who are we? What are the needs we're serving? That was David Rogers, one of the world's leading experts on digital transformation. He's also a member of the faculty at Columbia Business School, the author of five books. His landmark bestseller, The Digital Transformation Playbook, was the first book ever published on digital transformation and put the topic on the map. David defined the discipline by arguing that digital transformation, or DX, is not about technology. It is about strategy, leadership, and new ways of thinking. In his newest book, The Digital Transformation Roadmap, he tackles the biggest barriers to digital transformation success and offers a blueprint to build any organization for continuous change. He has shaped the way companies around the world transform their businesses for the digital age, working with senior leaders at corporations, including Google, Microsoft, Citigroup, Visa, HSBC, GE, Toyota, Cartier, Pernod, Ricard, China, Eastern Airlines, and many others. You will find him regularly delivering keynotes at conferences across all six continents. He's appeared on CNN, ABC News, CNBC, Channel News Asia, The New York Times, Financial Times, Wall Street Journal, The Economist, and today he is here with us. In this episode, he shares what companies usually get wrong when they pursue digital transformation. He lays out clearly the cognitive barriers that most often stop companies from effectively embracing the potential of digital transformation and offers some really tangible cases and examples and lessons from companies like Intel and Disney to the New York Times, what works, what doesn't work, what mistakes we can avoid. And this is what I loved about this conversation. Ultimately, why digital technologies are changing how organizations will organize themselves and what that could mean for the future of society. Ladies and gentlemen, David Rogers. David, thank you so much for taking the time to be here. It's great to have you. Oh, absolutely. Thank you for having me, Kaihan. I'm really happy to be here, and I really enjoyed the podcast. I love the focus on strategy. I love your format, the great questions. So really a joy to be here in person to join it myself. Great. And it seems like every conversation we have with strategists about digital transformation folds back into, as you say, into people and culture. And so we're thrilled to have someone who's thought so much about that to share your insights with us. To warm us up, I'm going to ask you a personal question. Could you complete the sentence for me? If you really know me, you know that. If you know me, you know I am someone who is driven to really look for shared problems that are held in common by what might look like very different organizations, you know, talking to a global technology services company, a luxury goods business, a nonprofit charity, a regional insurance player. Everyone thinks that their problems and their circumstance are, if not unique, heavily shaped by their industry and their geography and their particular history. And there's some truth to that. But what I'm really drawn to are what's the common thread? What are the more fundamental issues that are actually exactly the same across these businesses that they're all grappling with? And then that drives me into this creative quest to try to develop, if we can, frameworks 
tools, methodologies that will help to solve those problems and can be used in all of these different kinds of organizations. Got it. And this being a podcast about business strategy, although, you know, as you say, as you get to the underlying causes and interactions that can lead to lots of different areas, but what's your definition of strategy before we get into your work? Sure. Strategy to me is the practice of continually asking two questions. What are we trying to achieve and how do we think we might achieve that? That's it. It's very simple. It's very fun. It's also very difficult. And you began your career, as I understand it, in brand strategy. Yeah, yeah. About 20 years ago, I actually started out of college as a jazz composer and musician. Oh, really? It's a story for another day, but actually informed a lot of my work and strategy and theory and practice of business organizations. But over 20 years ago, I started working in brand strategy at Columbia Business School, doing research and working with companies. But what I saw about 20 years ago, so pretty early on in my journey, was that digital technologies were shifting the balance of power between what we thought of as brands and their customers. And just like today, in those early days of the internet, there was a lot of infatuation with technology. So these existing businesses all thought that the internet was going to be a new tool or a new channel to help them keep selling what they had already been selling, to keep doing the exact same thing, running the exact same business. But what I recognized was that the digital revolution raised much more strategic questions. You know, what value are we creating for our customers? How can we still capture mark value from the market? What's our competition? Questions like this. And frankly, Guyan, I see the same exact pattern repeating today. Technological change keeps coming. It keeps raising new and important strategic questions. But at the same time, new technology keeps distracting us from strategic thinking. Yeah. So I see that those questions can line up to your definition of strategy, what value and how. And so it requires you to rethink. Can you give us an example? For example, I know that you talked to something else that I listened to about the New York Times digital transformation strategy. So they were a classic example of a company that pursued what I'll sometimes refer to as digitalization. So they thought that the internet was going to allow them to just keep doing the exact same thing they've done before, and it was going to be a new distribution medium. Their chief executive at the time, the publisher, Arthur Salzberger, famously, he would repeat this in meetings and in his interviews. He basically said, the internet, that's great. CD-ROMs, great. Frankly, if you give me the technology to beam the New York Times directly into the reader's cerebral cortex, I would be thrilled. So he thought he was embracing a very technology first, technology forward view of the world. And he certainly provided what the consultants will always tell you is the most important thing in digital transformation, which is a CEO mandate, right? Well, the chief executive is behind it. That's the most important thing. He was enthusiastic. He was trumpeting it at all occasions. And of course, the New York Times digital transformation was a disaster for more than a decade. It made every mistake you possibly could. But it really started from that misconception that this was simply a new tool to keep doing the exact same thing. So I'm producing content, I'm delivering in paper, but now I'm just going to produce the same content, but just deliver it digitally. Exactly. Never even considered, gee, could we have different kinds of articles, maybe different subjects, maybe a different frequency? I mean, they literally had in the early days, you know, they were the first one. They were pioneers. They launched on the web, first major newspaper to do so. And when they launched the NewYorkTimes.com, they were out there, they're building an audience, so they crowdsourced an idea. Well, what should the new tagline be? You know, all the news that's fit to print, that was the 
historic one? What should it be for the digital edition? And they got thousands of ideas and many, many more votes. And in the end, they decided, no, we're just going to stick with all the news that's fit to print. They put that on the website, which was such an ironic statement about the mindset of the company in those days. Since then, they've made tremendous success. So that's why they're such a great teaching case, because they sort of made all the mistakes that you can, and yet they showed that you can recover from that. And later, they actually made the fundamental organizational changes, which are at the heart of real digital transformation. And so now they are a great example of a very old legacy incumbent organization that has made precisely the kinds of changes that everyone has to make and has to keep making. Yes. So many implications of that, like all your work about transformation, never ending, the appreciating of the learning that I'm sure comes from the mistakes early and valuing that. But I'd love to have you link that, if you can, to one of your most popular books, the Digital Transformation Playbook. And it'd be a mistake not to ask you to lay out for us the five domains that have proven so valuable for digital transformers. Sure. Yeah. So Digital Transformation Playbook, that was the first book on the topic of digital transformation. And the essential point that I made in that book was that digital transformation is not about technology. It's really about strategy. And transforming any business for a digital era is hard. The reason why it's hard is not because of the technology challenges. It's not that those are trivial, right? There's going to be a lot of work to be done for whatever technology needs in the organization. But the crux of it, the really hard part, is that transforming requires us to overcome our own cognitive blind spots, our own ways of thinking about what business are we in? Who are we? What are the needs we're serving? And that all those things are rooted in the way that strategy was taught at business schools like Columbia, our peers, of course, and practiced in companies around the world for decades before the digital era. So that was sort of the need, the reason why in the book I laid out this five domains model as a way to help any business to shift their own strategic thinking. So the five domains are customers, competition, data, innovation, and value. And each chapter goes through and looks at what are the sort of strategic assumptions and principles we have to consciously set aside and rethink and shift our expectations around what's our relationship to our customers. How do we need to update and shift our strategic assumptions about competition? Who do we compete with? What is the nature of competition? Is there a distinction between a competitor and a collaborator? If so, what is it? Changing our strategic assumptions and thinking about data. All these are old domains. Data has always been part of business. Going back to papyrus and, you know, keeping track of your inventory at a marketplace in the desert. But the strategic role of data and the meaning of data is going to be very different now in this connected world. How do we rethink innovation? Particularly, how do we think about innovation as a means of dealing with uncertainty? And lastly, how do you rethink continually your value, meaning your value proposition? What is the value we bring to the market? And not look at every change, every new technology, every new emerging trend as a threat. You know, all the headlines, all the conversations about chat GPT and generative AI, you know, 90% of them are, what's the threat? Like, what's this going to do to X, you know, to our way we give college teaching assignments, to my job as a copywriter for a content marketing agency, to the work of artists, and, uh, looking at these things, not solely in a reactive, what's the threat to the existing, but what door is this opening up? As I say, don't just think about how this is going to impact your current business. Ask how it might help you build your next business. So that's the five domains. So as we understand and start becoming conscious of these cognitive biases that like a fish can't see water, we probably can't see when we're in it. You've helped with that book to elevate people to see some of the biases. So David, after you become aware of these cognitive biases, then what are some strategies that companies can think about maybe in the customer area? 
you know, each of these domains, I try to look at big shifts, like in customers, the macro shifts are things like what I would describe as a shift from a paradigm of customers as targets who we reach with marketing and customer strategy. And it's all about frequency and reach and scale and so forth. And instead thinking about customers as networks. But there's also practical tools. So the tool framework within the customer domain, the main one which I introduce, which is based on research going back several years, is looking at what are these what I call core behaviors of customer networks. So as customers become so much more networked and connected to each other and organizations and systems at every moment in our lives, how does that influence or bring out, I would say, certain instinctive behaviors and wants and needs and desires of us as a species? So there are five behaviors which I tracked across all different kinds of industries. Customers seek to access whatever it is, information, product, service, solution. They want it to be simple, easy, on demand. It's like the difference between going out and hailing a cab on the street corner versus using Uber. Any innovation, any new offering or customer experience or business model which gets them what they want easier, simpler, faster will always add value. So access is one. Engaging with content that's rich and immersive. We have so many different innovations in that area, driven this incredible explosion of media formats and channels over the last 20 years. Customization. Customers want to customize. They want a more personalized experience that's unique to them and offering that they can tailor or match to their particular needs. We've been trained on that with digital experience from you know Netflix to Amazon to Google search to connect with each other, which is really more about communications. And that's driven the whole boom and sort of wave after wave of what we broadly think of as social media. And in some cases, though, to do more than just connect and share ideas, but to collaborate. And that's using digital tools to create opportunities for people to actually work together towards some kind of shared goal with others who they may or may not ever actually meet or see in person. So those are five behaviors, which I found you can look again across industry after industry, wave after wave of digital technology, and they keep pushing forward the new value proposition, the new experience, the new thing that is adding something that is attractive and draws the attention and the energy and the time and the investment of customers. So that's a tool which you're thinking about your customer strategy. Fascinating. Each of those we could dig into. You're bringing up more and more questions. You know, I'm really curious about this cultural transformation piece. So as you identify these biases, then you can zoom in and use these tools and say, you know, we should be enabling our customers to connect with each other instead of thinking of us delivering to customers, for example, right? But you found that you keep hitting up against this cultural barrier. There's a book I'm working on now with a professor from Wharton, Pete Fader, and he's been bumping up against this as he tries to get people to embrace customer lifetime value, for example. But it seems like the digital transformation creates different cultural challenges than other types of transformations. So my question is, what's different and what do we do? Have you found a framework or tool that you think is particularly good for culture transformation? I would say culture is part of it, but as I define it, I'm very careful about definitions in my work. Culture is one of the organizational barriers. So at this point, it's been a huge learning journey for me in the last almost a decade. Every business today, upsize a note, is at least giving lip service to digital transformation. But the results have been terrible. You know, by every survey and indicator, 70% of them roughly are failing. What I've seen is digital transformation cannot happen without strategy, as I talked about. But what I've seen is even the best digital strategy for how you should transform your business, where you should go, what this opportunity is, how you should change the value proposition for the customer, become focused on customer lifetime value, whatever the strategy is, it will go nowhere in an established company, especially the larger and more complex that organization is. It will go nowhere unless you engage deeply in addressing the organizational barriers to making strategic change happen at scale. 
So that has really been my focus of research for the last several years and my work with companies and what's gone into my new book that's going to be coming out in the second half of this year and really trying to identify and what I found there are five fundamental barriers holding companies back time and again in their digital transformations and really in their strategic transformation change efforts. Those barriers very briefly are lack of a shared vision. No priorities for growth. You know, very often in digital transformation in particular, we see a lot of companies just sort of thinking about cost cutting and efficiency in their current operating model. They're not really thinking about growth opportunities or new things that they could do, or they have no priorities at all. It's just a lot of scattershot projects. So no shared vision, which is probably the worst. No priorities for growth. No ingrained practice of experimentation. Everything is being driven through top-down planning. Everything has to come with a detailed business case. Everything is based on benchmarking of others. No change in the governance of the organization. As we're trying to do new things, we're still using the same business as usual management models and processes and resource allocation. And lastly, no change in the capabilities and the culture of the organization. Those five barriers just time and time again keep tripping up organizations. So my next book, which is coming out, as I said, in the second half of 2023, is going to be called The Digital Transformation Roadmap. And that book, the roadmap, lays out a blueprint to address all five of these barriers, really so that you can be, your company can be one of those 30% of businesses that actually their digital transformation efforts really do generate lasting values in the business. Fascinating. I love just the clarity of your thinking. Again, I got a whole number of questions, but we're reaching the top of our time, so I'm going to limit it to two. I'll have to do it again. Yeah, yeah, we'll have to do it again. The second one will be how can people find you and connect with you and learn from you? But the other one is the one that I was always taught to ask when I was a consultant is, what didn't I ask? What didn't you get to say? So in terms of finding me and keeping in touch with me, I'm easy to find on LinkedIn. I also have a website, davidrogers.digital. So not the normal, usual subdomain at the end.com. It's .digital and Rogers is is R-O-G-E-R-S. One question that I heard recently, which really struck with me, is something important that you've changed your mind about. And when I reflected on that, I would say over the years, I absorbed the assumption that strategy, topic dear to your heart and your listener's heart, is something that happens at the top of the organization. So if you want to deal with issues of strategy, which was what I was trying to deal with and working with companies, I thought, okay, let me go talk to the top executives. That's the people whose job it is to do strategy. They're going to figure out, and then there's going to be other people who put that strategy into place. So really important learning for me over the last several years was that strategy does not and cannot happen only at the top. I've seen this time and time again. If you look at Intel, Andy Grove's famous stories of how it was the frontline managers who saw shifting expectations or needs in the market and actually started moving around Intel's investments in terms of kinds of chips it was developing before the top leadership even realized what was going on. If you look at Benjamin Black, who was a junior engineer at Amazon when he co-wrote the first white paper that turned into Amazon Web Services, right? I would say one of the figures, sort of a seminal moment in the New York Times shift to real lasting digital transformation when they really started to bring it all the way into the newsroom, not just creating new digital products and services, but actually changing the practice of doing news reporting stories. It started with an article written by an intern, an intern named Josh Katz. So today the world is simply moving too fast for strategy to just be a top-down affair. 
For transformation to really work in large organizations, it requires that everyone is doing strategy at every level of the organization, meaning everyone is continually asking those two questions in their own work. What are we trying to achieve? How do we think we might achieve that? So that's really been a shift in my orientation. Every tool, every method I work on and develop is very consciously designed so that it can be used from the single team of three people building product or improving the existing process in the company up to the C-suite and executive committee, because really that is how strategy has to happen. I love that. Yeah, I spent a lot of time thinking about and appreciating that. And I think it leads to a more inspiring organizational future, kind of place there people want to work, where their creativity is recognized, they have a chance to make a difference. Absolutely. I see all these organizations and they tell me things like, oh, our employees are afraid of the change in our strategy. Our employees are disengaged. They think that somehow they want some professor to come in with some hypnosis, some magic words they are going to like persuade people to get on board. And it's like, you need to give them a reason. <laughs> the problem is not about persuasion. The problem is your whole organization is set up in a way that's disempowering and alienating people. You're running it like the Russian military, top-down command and control. Everyone's waiting for the orders from above while they get shelled by the competitor, so to speak. Really, these organizational systems and processes have to change if companies are going to unleash the kind of strategy and innovation and growth and transformation, which is really possible in any organization organization. That's what I've learned. You've really got to delve into these organizational barriers. And I guess this brings it full circle in that I would think that it's a lot of the digital technologies that are making it possible for these organizations to organize in different ways as well, creating the internal connections between people and the way we work. Absolutely. We've got all kinds of new tools. What they do is they make it easier to do this at scale. It was understandable in the mid-20th century when you were dealing with a large organization that you would start to follow these top-down command and control management models that were developed in that era because A, the world was moving more slowly. Your biggest concerns were just consistency and people going off the rails and who knows what somebody's doing in the Ohio plant and so forth. And so everything was designed in this defensive need to make sure people were hitting their marks. And we can do so much better than that now. So we have to. Love it. All right. Well, we'll have to have you come back and explore that deeper because that has profound implications for anyone alive and working today. Absolutely. David, thank you so much for being here. Thank you for the work that you do and picking those big questions and bringing answers to us and sharing some of it with us here. It's great having you on. Oh, thank you, Kai Han. It's been a pleasure for me. Thank you to our guests. Thank you to our producers, Karina Reyes and Zach Ness, our editor and the rest of the team. If you like what you heard, please follow, download, and subscribe. I'm your host, Kaihan Krippendorf. Thank you for listening. We'll catch you next week with another episode of OutThinkers.